I will feast at the table of the Lord. I will feast at the table of the Lord. I won't hunger anymore. Welcome to the table. You are listening to the Kingstown Communion podcast with lead pastor Michelle Matthews. The Kingstown Communion is a new United Methodist Church existing to gather people into communion with Jesus Christ through courageous conversation, creative community, and collaborating for the common good. We worship at Island Creek Elementary School, 7855 Morning View Lane, every Sunday at 10 a.m. For more information about upcoming events and opportunities to serve, visit our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash Kingstown Communion. We're glad that you're listening along with us. If you live close by, we hope you'll join us for worship in person. And if you ever feel so inclined to help us by giving financially, you can do so on our website, kingstowncommunion.net. Join me in this prayer of illumination for our scripture reading this morning. Uh, Let us pray as we get ready to receive God's word today. God, open our hearts and minds today by the power of your Holy Spirit. As the scripture is read by Jake, one of our confirmands, and your word is proclaimed by Michelle, that we may all hear with joy what you have to say to us today. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Hello, I'm Jacob Griffith. And today I will be reading 1 Peter, chapter 1, verses 13 through 23. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Discipline yourselves. Set all your hope on the grace that Jesus Christ will bring you when he is revealed. Like obedient children, do not be conformed to the desires that you formerly had in ignorance. Instead, as he who called you is holy, be holy yourselves in all your conduct. For it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. If you invoke as the Father, the one who judges all people impartially according to their deeds, live in reverent fear during the time of your exile. You know that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your ancestors, not with perishable things like silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without defect or blemish. He was destined before the foundation of the world, but was revealed at the end of the ages for your sake. Through him you have come to trust in God, raised him from the dead, and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are set on God. 
Now that you have purified your souls by your obedience to the truth so that you have genuine mutual love, love one another deeply from the heart. You have been born anew, not of a perishable, but of an imperishable seed, for the living and enduring word of God, the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Well, friends, we are in our, our second week now of a new sermon series for this unique time that we find ourselves in when we are apart from each other and for this season of Easter, this, this season of the church that we're in. And we're calling this sermon series Pandemic Proportion, Extraordinary Faith in Extraordinary Times. And this season of, of Eastertide is, is those seven weeks, as I said last week, the seven weeks between Easter and Pentecost when we, disciples of Jesus Christ, ponder with, with the early disciples, what now? Like, like what, what's next now after, after the resurrection of Jesus? And for us, as we ponder this, we are going to be making our way through the book of First Peter. And so we're calling this series on First Peter Pandemic Proportion because in the midst of this public health crisis of pandemic proportion, this extraordinary time that will have, we know, ripple effects across every area of our lives and, and will change the world as we know it, we, the church, we still gather the church is not closed. We still gather. We still gather to celebrate and to ponder together the most extraordinary event, the, the event of pandemic proportion in the history of our faith that had ripple effects across every area of our lives and has changed the world. Pandemic worldwide has changed the world forever, and that is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. This is the church's event of pandemic proportion, and for the next seven weeks, we're going to root ourselves in the book of First Peter, this letter, this set of reflections of the early church telling the story of extraordinary faith in extraordinary times, like where we find ourselves right now. And so last week, I, I laid a little bit of this groundwork, bringing you up to speed on who these people are that the author of First Peter is writing to about 80 years after the resurrection of Jesus. This group of, of Jesus-following Jews who have been expelled from, from Rome by the Emperor Claudius because they're causing way too much fuss about this guy named Jesus, and they're exiled now in Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey, and they're stuck in this world that they didn't choose, alienated from relationship, feeling like they have no control, like they're insignificant, forgotten, and pretty sure this thing is never going to be over. This thing is never going to change. Life as they know it is over. And the author of 1 Peter writes to them to remind them of who they are and whose they are and of the extraordinary faith they have in Jesus Christ, that the, the God who loves them has prepared for them this extraordinary hope and way and church and calling and blessing and baptism and power in Jesus Christ through which they will be strangers 
in a strange land no more. And so last week we pondered together if, uh, if, if this might be a word also for us during this season as people feeling, feeling a bit ourselves like strangers in a strange land right now as people living in extraordinary and uncertain times in, in need of God's invitation to understand our lives not in light of the times, but through the lens of Jesus, through the lens of the church of Jesus Christ. And so last week we began with this extraordinary living hope the author of 1 Peter talks about. And today we continue as, as Jake just led us through the rest of 1 Peter chapter 1, where we begin to get a glimpse of what the extraordinary way of Jesus looks like. Did you hear it today? Set all that extraordinary hope on the grace of Jesus, it says, that was brought to you when Jesus was revealed. And then, be obedient to it. Not conformed to the desires that you formerly had, but but holy in the way that God is holy, for this is God's way. God has raised Jesus from the dead so that your way, your faith, your hope may be set in the direction of God. For this is God's way, that God raised Jesus from the dead. While I was at Duke, there was this conference held on on faith and technology. And at this conference, a graduate student got up and went to the mic to speak. And and he said, as a scientist, I am taught to look at the world in this objective, rational, scientific way. And yet, the events on which Christianity is based are inherently irrational. And therefore, I see no way for a modern, rational, scientific person to to ever be a Christian. And if you're honest today, you can see what he means. If, If we would take a few steps back from that Easter story and try to hear it again as if hearing it for the very first time, if we could just take a step back from that resurrection story and hear it with new ears, we would have to admit that this story with dead bodies rising from tombs and strange goings on and graveyards is, like to be put politely, it's irrational. And so what are we to do with such a story? Especially when First Peter writes, This is God's way, that God raised Jesus from the dead. I once heard a preacher ask if it could be proven that George Washington never threw a dollar across the Potomac, as he's rumored to have done. Would he be any less a hero? Or if it could be shown that Jesus Christ never actually walked on water, would he be any less 
of a savior. The point being that even if George Washington didn't have such a great throwing arm, he would still go down in history, right, as this great hero in the minds of Americans. And and even if Jesus Christ couldn't skim across the waters, I mean, who who cares? It doesn't it doesn't matter much if someone can't throw a dollar across a river or can't walk on water, but but does this line of reasoning also apply to a strange event like the resurrection? A strange event as as the author of First Peter names it, like God raising Jesus from the dead? Because there, I dare say, it it does make a lot of difference. It makes a lot of difference whether this is a fanciful tale or an uh, actual event. It makes a lot of difference for this follower of Peter writing in First Peter. It makes a lot of difference to Paul who said if Christ is not raised, then our faith is in vain. In a highly educated area like, like D.C. metro area, great Great stress is put, right, on scientific explanations for natural phenomena and, and logic and clear thinking. But a few moments ago, you heard the author of First Peter tell the story of someone who was crucified and dead and buried and, and rose from the dead and then, and then spoke to his friends. And what, what, will, what will you modern people do with such a story? So there's this, there was this British theologian. He actually passed away uh, about, I think, almost a decade ago now, maybe eight years ago. And um, his name is John Hick. And he once said that a statement like the one read in today's scripture, that that God raised Jesus Christ from the dead, appears to be a factual assertion about the supreme being who from time to time just inserts himself into the natural flow of things and reverses all the natural laws. And then it questions how modern scientific people can, can believe such statements. I mean, after all, you you don't even need to be a scientist. You don't have to live very long in this world at all to find out that that everything that lives dies. And if something dies, does it it does not live again? That is that's a law. And so Hicks says that if such statements like God raised Jesus Christ from the dead are to be retained and have plausibility in our time and in our lives today, they must be reinterpreted. They must be given some kind of more mundane meaning for us to be able to receive them well. In other words, we've got to to get such statements as first Peter's down to to our level. And so for Hicks, such statements like, like God raised Jesus Christ from the dead, for it to have been any, any kind of meaning, if it, if it had any meaning at all, it's gotta be transformed from a statement about God's alleged supernatural intrusions into history into rather 
just claims about human existence, the human experience, and the way that humans live and ought to live our lives. For instance, Hicks said that, that if you take like a biblical statement, like God created the heavens and the earth, for people, modern day people, we need to kind of change that statement to say, well, people, we've, we found order and meaning in life. Or take the story of Jesus, like walking on water. What are we to do with that? And Hicks said that, that this is, is sort of a primitive way of just, you know, we were to put it in modern terms, just expressing that Jesus inspired hope and bravery in his followers. That's really what that all meant. And so in the hands of a theologian like Hick, these statements about the way of God are transformed into more modern statements about about us, about the way of humanity. And so you can imagine how when, when John Hick arrived at the resurrection, he faced his greatest challenge to his brand of theology. And, and he suggests that the Easter story should be understood not as an event in the past in which the way of God was shown as God raised Jesus from the dead, but rather as just a new perspective on life, a new way of life opened up to us. The important thing, he said, it's not the event on Easter morning that, that First Peter exclaims emphatically in chapter 1 is the way of God, but rather just our human perspective on life, our human way through life. Hicks brand of theology said that the resurrection is not literally true in, in that Jesus, and that the dead Jesus was raised back to life, but, but that resurrection is true only in that it invites a particular attitude, a way of living from its hearers. In other words, the story of Easter is just a jolly, good, old story. The important thing isn't what God did to Jesus. But what this good story does for each of us. I suppose that's what that preacher I heard was trying to, to say when he said it, it's really not all that important that Jesus walked on water, right? The important thing is what happened in the hearts and minds of the disciples. It's, it's not all that important whether resurrection is true or, or that it's the way God does God's best work, at least not in the historical sense, but rather what's important is just our perception of Jesus and our attitude about life. And y'all, this is a favorite ploy of preachers. Y'all have all heard it especially preachers like me who get to preach to mostly educated, academic, mature, intelligent, modern people like you. Preachers like me, we often take some miraculous event like, like Jesus feeding the 5,000 and we tell you that this isn't a story about a miracle, about the way that God works through extraordinary means in the world, and that, that, but that this is just really a story about how we all just need to get together and share our possessions with one another. Our acts are 
are more important then than God's miracles. Our ways are more important than God's way in Jesus. And some of you might be wondering why any preacher would resort to such intellectual contortions. I mean, why don't theologians like John Hick just take the route that that, that graduate student at the conference on, on faith and science took and just say the whole thing is irrational and therefore in his mind false and just leave it at that and walk away from religion. Why? And the response, I suppose, is because Hick rejected First Peter's God raised Jesus from the dead as true in the historical sense while still wanting deep down to maintain that it is true in some sense. And so lacking that, that straightforwardness of that graduate student, many preachers throw out the historical truth to, to these worn out, beaten down, displaced Christians who feel isolated and without any control or handle on the future while still wanting to claim something for Christianity. And this is like the intellectual equivalent of the person who no longer believes in Christian faith at all, but attends church every so often because they like how Brett plays the mandolin or enjoy a good potluck. In our earnest attempt to interpret this primitive story to the modern world, we often destroy the Christian truth claims as they have been generally known and would have been understood by those first century Jewish hearers longing for, for some kind of extraordinary hope, some extraordinary way to follow in times of pandemic proportion. Friends, as far as I can tell, there is just no way to weasel our way out of the plain assertion that Christians all along have made, that the epistle writer in 1 Peter made, not, not that the resurrection is some, some jolly good story, some beautiful symbol, some fine metaphor for life, but that God raised Jesus from the dead and that resurrection is real. This is the way of God, that God raised Jesus from the dead. Now, part of me really wishes this wasn't true. That, that through so, some sort of, of, of mental gymnastics and really great preaching, I could help you over this hurdle in some way. It would certainly make being a Christian a whole heck of a lot easier, wouldn't it? If only I could tell you that it's enough for you to be attracted to the noble teachings of Jesus, the great prophet, fascinated by the literary excellence of these beautiful little stories, and then I could help you sidestep that difficult business of deciding whether or not it's true. But unfortunately, I can't. Because no, no poetic somersaults can help. And somehow the forces of life and death 
were reversed and overcome, and Christ was let loose into the world. That those who sealed Jesus shut up in the tomb were shocked and surprised and scared half out of their wits on Easter morning is a scandal I cannot help you avoid. Sure, the story of the resurrection on Easter may transform your life and your attitude and your way of living in the world. And and if that story is told well by some awe-inspiring preacher, the story might even make you feel a whole lot better about your way of life. Even if you don't happen to believe the story is true. But the Bible is saying a great deal more than that. Interpreters that try to make that Easter story more palatable and plausible by reducing it to just assertions about human perspectives and attitudes and human ways distort the Bible's own claims for itself. The gospel writers went to great lengths to show that this wasn't something the disciples expected or prayed for or ever wanted. The resurrection of Jesus scared them half out of their wits. Nothing they had ever known about life, about death, about reality prepared them for what happened that Easter morning. And so that's what 1 Peter tries to get through to those exiled, exhausted, isolated, bewildered, Jesus-following Jews, strangers in a strange land, that this living story of hope, this story is about what God does. It's about God's way, not about how we feel. Their hearts were wrong. Their eyes were blind. Their minds were too small to understand. Our hearts are wrong. Our minds are blind. Our our minds are too small to understand this. Now, of course, the resurrection, it did open up a, a new perspective on life for the disciples. A new way of living for his followers, but only as a consequence of something that God did God's fact came before their new way of life God's way came before their new way of living and so to believe this story is to believe that this is an account of something that God did and sure this story is told yeah it's told like any other biblical story in first century thought patterns and they express truth in one way, and and we express truth now in another way, sure. For instance, I may say something like this. At Easter, a new force, a new power of love was unleashed in the world in Jesus Christ. Whereas the gospel writer Luke, Luke said it like this, the Lord is risen and appeared to Simon. Whereas the writer of 1 Peter said it like this, God raised Jesus from the dead. But let us remind ourselves that first century people, they knew the difference between a jolly good old story and something that actually happened. They were no less scandalized by the claims of Easter than we are. When early, pre-scientific, primitive people heard this story, 
told by early Christians, early pre-scientific primitive people thought they were crazy, they were drunk, or maybe both at the same time. We may be at some, some limitation as, as modern people of understanding this story, but it's not because we're progressive and we're so scientific and rational, but rather because our, our modern experience of God is so impoverished, so puny, so anemic, and the resurrection God may be calling us to a new level of existence that we've never known before. God may be trying to reveal something to us that has been carefully excluded by modern academic discourse. Our world is so flattened and rational and dull that we, we confront the realities of life and death and we, we do so easily pleased by by what we just already know. And that that is why we cannot make our experience the test of the truth or the falsity of anything. We are in the intellectually impoverished situation of limiting reality only by our contemporary experience of it. And and ignorance is born of the arrogance of those who believe only what they have personally seen. I remember when I was serving a church in Snow Camp, North Carolina, I visited this this older man, this elderly man uh, in the church who owned a lumber mill. And, And together we walked his property and he showed me around the property and somehow we got to talking about about how he served in World War II and he told me that as a child he did not believe that Europe existed. But then he got drafted and Uncle Sam sent him to Europe. And he found out it was actually there. And he said, you wouldn't believe what's over that ocean. Well, having rejected the notion that Jesus rose from the dead, theologians like like John Hick can't tell us exactly what happened. Theories about fears of the future or wish fulfillment for the grieving disciples or mass hysteria among Jesus' followers, they don't explain anything. Nor does it do any good to pick through the Bible and accept that which only our limited reason will allow us to. Unfortunately, friends, I don't know any way to get around the scandal of Easter. The writer of 1 Peter didn't know any way to get around the scandal of Easter either. There is no act of preaching wizardry to save you from having to trip over this assertion. The gospel writers knew the difference between fact and fiction, and they were also intellectually honest to know that nothing can save but facts. Because... No perspective or way of life is is a match for the fact of death. 
and, and no poetic Easter sermons about butterflies flying from cocoons can save us from the, the hard, cold, objective truth of death. And no story, even the most beautiful story, is a match for death. The consultation of unbelievers and the wish, wishful thinking of humanists are thin nourishment in the face of death. An old man, he breathes his last gasp alone. And a COVID hospital, hospital ward, a little girl in Honduras closes her eyes and dies of starvation. The countless victims of concentration camps and wars and pandemic graves and mass shootings and other unimaginable cruelty, nothing can save but the facts. It's okay for you to say that you may, may challenge First Peter, that you may have doubts about the story who doesn't. It's, it's fair to say that you don't understand, that you wish you had more information, that you're baffled and surprised and confused because the gospel writers make it clear that the first people who heard this story felt exactly the same way you do. But make no mistake about it. The writer of 1 Peter makes no mistake about it. It was an event. It was a fact. And they had to confront it to believe it, to reject it, to accept it. But to those who dare, there are no facts of life greater than this. That this is God's extraordinary way. That Christ is risen and that God raised Jesus from the dead. I offer this to you in the name of of the Father, in the name of the Son, in the name of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Holy Spirit, guide my vision. Help me see the way you see. Always Jesus, ever Jesus. Christ in all is Christ in me. Holy Spirit, guide my speaking. Words of grace and truth abound. Let my lips be filled with stories of the mercy that I found. You're the Yeah,